Take your Bibles and turn to this week's memory verse, John 14, 21. And I will admit I had trouble, I struggled committing this one to memory. Uh, it just, it didn't flow for me. I tried to figure out some clues in it, and uh, it just, it was, it was tough. I'm going to try it. Don't laugh if I mess it up. But whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by God. No, I told you I was going to mess it up. By my Father, that's right. And I will love him and show him myself to him. Did I get close? John 14, 21? Okay. Uh, it just, see, it just, the others for me, the first three, they just flowed for me. This one didn't. So it, it's a struggle, but it is a worthwhile struggle. Because trust me, uh, when those moments come when you don't want to obey, that verse will come back. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So my question, well, the question I will ask myself is not, do I want to obey my question will be, do I love Jesus? And if I love Jesus, then I will obey. So take your Bibles, turn to John 14, 21. That's going to be our, our focal verse. We're going to read some of the verses around it just to, to get some, uh, some context for the verse. Uh, you may have noticed uh, two, three Sundays ago, I think it's been three Sundays now, we have new pew Bibles. Uh, we, I got those... About three weeks ago, you may have noticed, or somebody may have called you and told you about it. Uh, bought those. No budget money was uh, hurt in the purchasing of those uh, Bibles. It was all uh, dedicated money, so everything's good there. But we bought Christian Standard Bibles, which is what I preach from, which is what you'll see on the screen. It was a, a ministry opportunity to make it easier for people who come to church who maybe don't go to church often or have never owned a Bible or aren't as familiar with looking up Scripture passages so that when they do look one up, it matches everything they're hearing. We had uh, New King James versions uh, prior to this, and it, it didn't, didn't work well if you weren't really familiar with following along in, in, in Scripture with the preacher. So I got those uh, new Bibles a few weeks ago. The next week, uh, I believe it was, or maybe two weeks later, Sinetra said to me that she had a contact, I've forgotten now how it worked, uh, that doesn't matter, it was God doing it, with a church on Highway 12 between Vider and Mauriceville that lost everything. They got three and a half feet of water in their sanctuary, well, actually in all their buildings, and they lost everything they had, all, all books, Bibles, uh, equipment, pews, everything. And she talked to them and, said, and they said they needed Bibles. Well, there was where God was working. Because I was wondering what we are going to do with the 150 or so Bibles we took out of the pews. Uh, of course, didn't want to just throw them away. Uh, but didn't really want to have to store them anywhere either. We're running out of storage space. Lo and behold, God was already working. God had put that together. So what I thought I was doing to help folks that were coming into our church that might not be as familiar with the Bibles, God was doing so we could help another church who needed it uh, across the state line. So just more examples of 
of how he is always working around us. This isn't the message this morning, just kind of goes well into it. He's always working around us. He is always doing something. All we have to do is be aware of of what he's doing and and listen for him. And when Sinetra approached me about it and said, hey, can we give those Bibles away? Like, well, yeah, clearly that's what God is doing. So we had no problem there. So we get to minister to folks that come in, and we got to minister to uh, another church uh, over in Texas while we were doing it. So uh, our passage today uh, brought to mind for me, uh, when, when you're a kid, when I was a kid, and, and dad said, it's yard day on Saturday morning, what did that mean? Get up early? Uh, we, uh, we might call that an invitation, Right? That was an invitation to join him in the yard on Saturday morning. You understood that, didn't you? When Daddy said, hey, get up, it's yard day, he wasn't just telling you that for, so you could go, well, thank you, Father, for telling me, giving me that information so that I could know what today means to you. Now let me tell you what today means to me. It's cartoon day. Mm-mm. No, no, we, we understood that his announcing what the day was, what the plans were, what he was doing that day was his uh, invitation to join him in the work. Now, there was also uh, a similar statement, uh, maybe at least when I was a kid, when Daddy said, uh, you want to help me with the car? Now, that was a little different, Right? Uh, Daddy did not expect me at whatever age I was, 10, 11, 12 years old, I mean, he, okay, son, I'm going to do the tires, you, you take out the engine. You know, it wasn't that sort of thing. He wasn't inviting me to do as much as it was an invitation uh, to, to join him. It was a different type. It, he did the work and you helped for, for my dad, and, and he would say this to me over and over, because there were times when I was a kid, I would say, but I, I don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't seem like you need that much help. Uh, and he'll still do it, my daddy will, to this day uh, when we're over there. Hey, uh, hey, I got to go uh, move something in the garage. Come with me. Well, that just means daddy wants me out there. That's all it means, because the, the thing I might could help him with, but it might, you know, might be a screwdriver he's got to put back in its spot. It, it could be that simple. It's the relationship. Well, this morning, this passage, and this unit, really, in in experiencing God, kind of blends those two invitations. Uh, When God shows us what he's doing, clearly that's an invitation for us to join him. When when God showed me that uh, Grace Bible Church over in Texas needed Bibles and we had Bibles, that was our invitation to bless that church with those Bibles. But it's also about the relationship. And as a matter of fact, our involvement in God's work is contingent upon our relationship. And that's what this verse uh, shows us. Start with me in uh, verse 18, actually. Let's go on back to uh, verse 15 of chapter 14 of John and get into that verse 21. We'll read through verse 21. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him 
because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father. You are in me, and I am am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and reveal myself to him. Context here tells us a lot about this verse. Uh, the, the main emphasis of verses 15 through 21 is the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus telling his disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you alone. You will have the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you and in you. And he explains to them that if, if you're not one of my disciples, if you're not a believer, you don't get the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I'm not going to leave you alone. Not only are you not going to be alone while I'm gone, but I'm coming back. That's verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. One day he will be coming back. But he's also saying, I will be with you in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. You will see me because I live and you will live too. I will be in you. I am in you. I mean, he, he is he's blending himself. I mean, he's a great... Uh, Trinitarian passage, though uh, the Father isn't mentioned until the end. I mean, it's clear Jesus is both delineating the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as well as blending the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I'm not going to preach on that today. Uh, We've got a different direction to go with this passage. But that's the context. So when we get to verse 21 and and we pull that out a little bit, we have to remember that this is in the midst of a promise that he will never leave us. And it's in the midst of a promise about our relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, empowered by the internal indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So we have that sort of relationship. We have that dad gets up and says, it's yard day, or come help me with the car. We have that uh, relationship because we know God. The first part of that verse tells us, the one who has my commands. There's something absolutely understood about that phrase, and it goes back a little bit, but we all get it anyway. In order to know the commands, you must know God. We, we, we have an idea, some of us, that, that I can know what God wants me to do and never talk to him about it. Or we have people in the world who have a version of faith or have a, a, a hint of the gospel or have some church attendance that, that believe that they know God but they have no relationship with him. And then they say, oh sure, God wants this, God wants that, uh, the one that, that really makes me want to um, fuss at people, uh, I want to say punch them, but I'm not supposed to say that, I think, um, is the people that say, God wants me to be happy. No. No, I, I can't find that anywhere. I can find that you will be blessed or happy if, if when I read the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, for example, but that's because you are obedient. You are obeying God. You are obeying His commands, as this passage says. But God wants us to be holy, not happy. I, I actually had, uh, Etta and I had in our Sunday school class years ago, when we were members of a, a church in, uh, in Houston, 
uh, a guy sit in a Sunday school class and tell us that his divorce was okay because God wanted him to be happy. I kept my mouth shut. I don't know if that was a good thing or not. It probably was in retrospect. But no, God never wants us to sin in order to be happy. And that's a broad topic that, uh, that you know, you, some of you are thinking things right now. Just don't, because clearly God will never ask us to sin. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute, as a matter of fact. God will never ask us to sin in order to be happy, because his concern is not our happiness, it's our holiness. So in order to be holy, we must obey his commands. In order to know the commands, we must know God. And we only know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way we know God. We, we believe, some of us, uh, the world thinks, I can know God without Jesus. But clearly, God tells us in his word that you cannot know God uh, without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Which is one reason why the, the, the Trinitarian uh, flavor of the, these verses here is so important to us. We see that in order to know God, you know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know God. Because if you've seen him, you've seen the Father, etc., etc. All these passages, that, uh, all these sentences, phrases that Jesus used to show he and the Father were one. So we can talk about on day one in experiencing God when it says know God. We understand, though this verse is talking about Jesus, it's him speaking in the first person, that we, if we know Jesus... We know God. So we can use these uh, words interchangeably. Jesus, God, at least as it comes to this knowledge of God. But we only know uh, God through a relationship with Jesus, and we only continue to know him. We only grow in our knowledge of him through reading his word. Now, God can speak to us and does speak to us in prayer. That is, uh, never a doubt. He, he talks to us, he, he leads us, he guides us all through the indwelling Holy Spirit, but only will he, he will only speak to us what the Bible already says. God will never give us a command that's not in Scripture. God will never tell us anything, speak to us in any way that cannot be backed up by Scripture, cannot be uh, confirmed by Scripture. It's not going to happen. And if, if, if you say it does, you're wrong. No command you get will ever go against Scripture. Now, that sounds like the same thing, but there's a little, there's a little nuance there. You could get a command and say, oh, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't do that, so it must be okay. That's the first sentence. No, you'll never get something, a command, that the Bible doesn't already tell you to do. Uh, it just won't happen. The, the second one is you will never get a command that if you go to the Bible and it says do, you will never get a command that says don't. Or vice versa, if, if the Bible says don't, you will never get a command that says do. How do you know these things? Because of your relationship. Because of your relationship through prayer, because of your relationship through reading his word. This is God's method for showing us who he is. The Bible. And that's the only way. Now, 
I've used examples before of uh, what's going on, particularly in Muslim countries, about God speaking to uh, Muslims in dreams and in visions, and then it being just a few days to a few weeks until a Christian comes to their area, and, and that dream or vision is confirmed, and they realize, wait a minute, this is a person I need to talk to because I was told about it in the dream. God, so you're going to say, well, God's speaking to that person outside of Scripture. No, he is speaking to that person right in line with Scripture. That is very biblical. And the message that he will get, if it's from God, will go along with Scripture. He will know that because the missionary, the Christian, whoever it is that talks to him, confirms this ought to just sound like what we're learning and experiencing God. If, someone, if God leads you to something, if he speaks to you in a way, some way, that is confirmed by the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. And those are four ways that we can confirm what we feel like God's leading us to do. That's all we're talking about here. But those things, while circumstances might seem to disagree with the Bible... And while the church might disagree with the Bible, God's command will never disagree with the Bible. Circumstances can be misread, the church can be wrong, but God's word never will be. So, we must know God, and we know God by spending time with Him through His word. And then we see that God works through His people. He uses us as we spend time in relationship with Him. But we don't just know God, we worship God. And we find that here in this next phrase. Not only uh, the one who has my commands, but and keeps them. And keeps the commands. People, obedience is worship. Now, our Sunday school class this morning, JR, yep, you're sitting in your spot again. Okay, I found you easily this time. Uh, in our Sunday school class, we talked about all the different ways that we worship. Uh, one of the ways that we worship is through obedience to God's commands. Our Sunday school lesson used this verse, and it was here in my message before that. Romans 12:1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and I've condensed it a little bit, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true worship. What does a sacrifice do? sacrifice do? Anybody? Dies? Yeah. Does the sacrifice walking up to the altar say, okay, now, sacrifice-er. This is how I would like the sacrifice to go. First of all, I'd like not to die. Secondly, I would like a nice room when I get there, and I want, I want the room to be not too hot, I'm not, I'm not interested in the fire you've got going on, at least not to be too close to it. And if you could, if you could have me a nice drink of water, or maybe a Coke or something, and, and if, I'll need a comfy chair, and, and, and don't ask me to do anything you know, outlandish, like, like die. No, the sacrifice doesn't do any of those things. That's not the role of the sacrifice. The sacrifice has no rights. The sacrifice is completely at the mercy of the one in charge of the altar. So what is the sacrifice? The sacrifice is obedient. The sacrifice might complain uh, if it knows what's coming, but the sacrifice doesn't have a right. So when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, well, there's some hope there. It, 
It doesn't say present your bodies as a dead sacrifice, so yay. We get to live, maybe, for a little while. We won't get into the whole suffering and dying for your faith thing yet. We'll I'll just hold on. We'll wait for that. But, but right here, we're a living sacrifice. We're a sacrifice that understands our role, that understands that we have no rights. The sacrifice that, unlike the lamb or the, the, the dove or the, 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 the calf or whatever, that is grabbed and forcefully put onto the sacrifice and is probably panicking because it's probably smelling the blood of the other sacrifices and realizing, hey, hold on, this does not seem like just a trip to the barn. Uh, something's wrong here. Oh, no, that's a knife. And, you know, and then, you know, what happens? Um, we, as living sacrifices, we, we climb up on the altar. We put ourselves. We are an uncommon sacrifice in that sense. We gladly get on that altar and we say, Lord, use us as you wish. I, the sacrifice, am obedient. You, the sacrificer, the one to whom we are being sacrificed, you are the one in charge. That is worship. Sacrifice. The sacrificial system was worship. If we take that image of going to church to sacrifice in the Old Testament and we transplant that image to the New Testament and say, we go to church to sacrifice ourselves to the Lord and climb on the altar and say to him, use us as you wish, then we are being an obedient people and we are worshiping God. That's worship. But this, these, these commands... The one who has my commands and keeps them, these aren't God's will. These are the basics that he's talking about. This isn't necessarily, the, I mean, included in this was anything I ever tell you to do. Got it. Included in this is the uh, Acts 1-8 mandate, is the, the Great Commission, is the call to go to the ends of the earth. So there is this, what's God's will, uh, if we would say, if we're not doing experiencing God and know better, we would say, what's God's will for me? Now we're saying, what's God's will and how do I join him in that? But these aren't those types of things. These are the basics. This is when Jesus said, uh, love your brother. This is when Jesus said, uh, uh, lust of the heart is the same as adultery, so purify your minds. This is when Jesus said that uh, to, to hate is to murder. The, these are just the basics. Go to places like Galatians 5, 19, 20, 21, 22, along in there where it talks about what the sins of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are. And, and, and you'll see, okay, basics. That's all he's talking about here. We want to make this more complicated than it is. But what Jesus is saying, just do the stuff I've already told you to do. You realize if we would just do that, we would have a phenomenal evangelistic impact on our culture and on our world. If we just did the basics, what was our verse last week or two weeks ago? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Didn't include it in our memory verse for that week, but immediately following that is, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two, the entire law is built. If we just got those two, how few problems we would have as a church, as a family, as a community, as a country. If just the Christians would do this, what would our world be like? We'd turn this place upside down. If we would love God and love our neighbor. Oh, by the way, who's your neighbor? Everybody. There, that covers it. I just really condensed the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan right there. So, so these commands aren't the, the, the hard ones. Oh, you know, I'm go to the mission field in Africa and live in a grass hut. No, no, we're just talking about loving God and loving your neighbor. And then, if we do those things, we love God. The verse goes on. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Obedience is love. Now, previously I said that obedience is worship. Obedience is also love. Folks, Christians, believers, church people, there is no proof of love for God other than your obedience. Your words mean nothing. You say you love God, act like it. I mean, that, that's, that's Scripture. We can say anything, James tells us, but... What really proves our faith, what really proves our love for God is our obedience to God. Our, our protestations to, the otherwise, uh, 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 to otherwise and our declarations of love ring hollow if you aren't obeying the basics. How many people have you known that will say and give an image of and, and have the, the outward trappings of Christianity, yet you know, or at least think, by their actions and by their words and by the things that they have done and said, and yes, I just repeated myself and was redundant, but I want you to get the point. You look at them and say, how in the world can they claim Christ on Sunday and act like that on Monday? We see that over and over and over because no matter what we say, it is our actions that prove our love. And our actions that prove our love for God. Again, the basics, love God, love your neighbor. So the question or the, the, the statement here is if you believe God is love, if you love God, believe He loves you, then you will accept His will. The things that He leads you to, not just the basics, and, 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 and I'm really, let me uh, apologize here, I'm creating a false dichotomy, I'm doing it for a purpose, but I'm dividing the basics of God's will from the big things of God's will. I'm only doing that for, uh, uh, for pur these purposes today for uh, illustrative purposes there is no difference there is no little bit of god's will, uh, little god's will and big god's will there is no easy are no easy things to do and and hard things to do there is only god's will there is only uh, there are only the basics there are only the commands he's already given but we like the ones uh, we're good most of us with the don't murder all right i won't I got that basic. Um, love God. All right. 
Got that one too. Uh, don't have any other gods. I don't worship anything else. But you can see how we are uh, on a slippery slope real quick. Don't bear false witness. Now, hold on here. Um, don't, uh, don't commit adultery. I've never committed adultery. But see, Jesus, he went and messed that up for us, didn't he? Don't murder, so don't hate. Don't commit adultery, so don't lust. See, you, 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 you've, got your little, you've got your basics. Oh, I'm good. I got it here. I'm, I'm great. And then he goes and says, yeah, you think you're so good, but it's because you're ignoring these things that you know you do that you shouldn't. So if you believe God is love, if you believe he loves you, and if you love him, then you will obey the Bible. Not just the basics, not just those things you find comfortable, not just those things you like or you think are easy. So when we love uh, uh, God, or when we know God, when we worship God, when we love God, then we find that God invites us to join him. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Your relationship, your love relationship with Jesus leads God to use you in his kingdom. Now, God can use anybody. God, uh, how many times have I heard in the last year and a half... God used Cyrus to rescue the people of Israel. And if you don't know the context of that uh, phrase, don't worry about it. But I've heard it a lot. Yeah, God can use a lot of things. God uses demons. God uses uh, a lot of uh, bad circumstances, a lot of bad people to accomplish his will. But he does not go to those people and invite them to be a part of what he is doing. God only invites his people to join him. God showed up to Abraham because Abraham had already had a relationship with him. God showed up to Moses because Moses already had a relationship with him. God showed up to Paul because Paul already, oh no he didn't, did he? But he did after he showed up. So God took a bad person, what we would call bad, and he made him good. Not perfect, but he made him his and used him. God doesn't show up and invite people who aren't his. So it's your relationship with Jesus that leads God to use you in his kingdom. He only shows his plan to those whom he loves. Now, I, I, I went through the, the, the Greek on this verse, and I was expecting the word loves here to mean something like um, accepts so that I could change this verse and make it a little more palatable so if we read it the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me I'm okay with that we love Jesus sure and the one who loves me will be accepted by my father that's what I wanted the verse to say I will also accept him uh, and will reveal myself to him The Greek didn't let me soften it. Same word throughout, uh, some form of agape, which we know of as unconditional love, only the kind of love, really, that God can show. That's the, kind, that's the word that's used. So, uh, you know, the one who keeps my commands and keeps them is the one who agape loves me, unconditionally loves me. And think about that. 
In order to obey God or to, in order to obey Jesus, we have to unconditionally love him. We want conditions on our love for him. Lord, I'll love you if I don't have to, and you've got your list, and I've got my list, and in some places it's kind of a Venn diagram, in some places the circles meet up and we agree, and, but you have things that you like to do that I don't care about, but I have things that I like to do that, that you don't care about. So we're, we're making the same argument, just from different directions. I, I, don't, I don't want to unconditionally love you, but he goes on and says, and the one who unconditionally loves me will be unconditionally loved by my Father, and I, Jesus, will also unconditionally love him. And it really sounds like God doesn't love us if we don't obey him. Well, that's, that's difficult to square with the rest of Scripture. So what he's talking about here is a love that carries with it a relationship not experienced by the world. But he also loves the world. But this unconditional love that God has for his people... Think about it this way. God unconditionally loves us. Even when we don't keep his commands. He still loves us. But the relationship is altered, is damaged from our side. Because we aren't loving unconditionally. He still does. He carries that relationship constantly. Uh, the Bible says when we are faithless, He is what? Faithful. He is there constantly. He is there consistently. So that love, that, that unconditional love that He has for us, we love Him, He will love us. If we are submitting ourselves, remember this is in the, the course of this conversation about the Holy Spirit and Him leading us and our response to that. If we are loving Him unconditionally, He will in return show us His unconditional love. We will experience that unconditional love. If we don't love Him unconditionally, we don't experience His unconditional love. You see the difference? I love Disney World. I do. I, we could go to Disney World every year, and I would be perfectly happy, have no problem, very particular in the seasons I want to go, though, because I don't want to go with a million other people. But I love Disney World. But it is different for me to say I love Disney World from the 600 miles away or whatever it is we are right now than it is for me to say I love Disney World and the, right there on Main Street with the firehouse on my left and the theater on my right and the train station behind me looking down Main Street to Cinderella's Castle. Can you tell I've been there a few times? I love the place, but my experiential love of being in the presence of Disney World is much different from my uh, love from a distance, looking at it from afar as an abstract concept. God is not an abstract concept. If you want to experience God's unconditional love, you can only experience that unconditional love from a place of unconditional love being experienced in His presence. That's the only way you can do it. God invites you to have that. He invites you 
to join him. And with that experiential, unconditional love, then you see where God is working. Then he, he leads you to, to see that. He shows you what he is doing, and then that leads to the invitation. That leads to you knowing not only uh, the invitation, but where you are being invited to. The rest of the verse, the one who loves me will be loved by the Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. See, the love relationship that you have, the, un, the experiential, unconditional love of being in the presence of God leads you to a knowledge that you cannot have otherwise. That's the message of this verse. That's the message of this unit for this week. See, Jesus intends to reveal himself, reveal God to us. That's the whole purpose. Jesus didn't come to say, here, here's the salvation, but you're not going to know anything about me. You're not going to really experience me. You're not going to get to know me. I'm, I'm done with you until I come back. That was never the intent. The intent was always a revelation. The intent was always a relationship. We want Sunday morning Jesus, but Jesus wants every day. That's what he's not just asking for. This isn't, I'm going to go work on the car. This is, it's yard day. Every day is yard day with Jesus. And you tweet that or put it on Facebook, nobody's going to have any idea what you're talking about. So make sure you put some context in there. But you know what I'm talking about. Every day is the invitation to obey. Every day is the command to go with him and do what he is telling you to do. That revelation of God, knowing where God is at work, is an invitation. Knowing where God is working begins with obedience and love and ends with a relationship where you are looking for opportunities. Love and God's invitation. It began with a love for you. Unconditional. So unconditional that he would send his son to die for you. But then the next step is an unconditional love in return. If you love me so much, I will love you as well. But then with that love, there must be obedience. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then knowing where God is working ends with a relationship where you're looking for those opportunities. A relationship that is unconditionally loving. A relationship that has you in, in, in town square, looking down Main Street, eyeing Cinderella's castle, experientially in the midst of what God is doing, and you joining Him there because you have the relationship. As Sinetra said earlier, if, if you're not seeing where God, or she alluded to, I'm going to quote her wrong, if you're not seeing where God is working, if you don't feel like God is using you, it is not because God has grown silent. It is because you no longer have the unconditional, loving, experiential relationship with Him that you once may have had. And if you've never seen God work, and you've never 
experienced his uh, un. his experiential, unconditional love in your life, if you've never seen him work and you've never thought, wow, he's doing this in my life to show me where I need to work, maybe, just maybe, you don't have a relationship with him at all. Because Jesus intends to reveal himself and God to us. A love relationship always leads to a knowledge of God that is an invitation to join Him in what He is doing. So if we question those things, if we struggle with the basics, what's your relationship like with the Lord?